Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, good to be back with you today. Uh, we had a really cool opportunity as a family last weekend to uh, go to central Illinois, where I grew up, and uh, spend uh, the weekend with my parents, but also to be a part of something special in that my dad, uh, who's been pastoring a church for the last five or six years now, uh, he has been a pastor bivocationally for many years. Uh, my dad was ordained uh, as a part of his uh, church and uh, in the church service. And so I, I had the opportunity to preach at my dad's ordination service last weekend in uh, Waverly, Illinois. And so that was really cool. And we were thankful for the opportunity to do that. But I got to tell you, I'm excited to be back with you today. I uh, love this church. I love everything that God is doing through this church. And uh, so thankful that you're a part of it. Or if you're new today, uh, that you're here. Uh, checking it out. Hey, let me ask you, do you ever wish that uh, you could get a moment back? Like a moment when uh, you know, you knew you made a really big mistake, and if you could just get that moment back, uh, you'd do some things differently. Like the uh, NCAA championships tomorrow night, right? We know the big uh, men's basketball championships tomorrow evening. It got me thinking back to some of the past championship games over the years. Uh, how many of you remember the North Carolina versus Michigan game back in 1993? Anybody remember that game? All right. It was uh, Michigan's second consecutive trip. Uh, to the NCAA championship. The uh, score was 73-71 UNC Michigan ball with about 11 seconds left. Chris Weber of Michigan calls a timeout. Now, here's the problem. Michigan didn't have any timeouts, all right? You, you can't do that. If you call a timeout and you have no timeouts left, well, it's a technical foul, of course. And, uh, well, Weber's mistake effectively cost uh, Michigan the game, clinched the game really for uh, North Carolina. Do you think Chris Weber wishes that he could get that moment back? He has been a part of interview after interview. I mean, that's a question that always comes up for him, but let's not feel sorry for Chris Weber. He made his millions, right, in both college and in uh, the NBA, but... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I got to thinking about some past mistakes that I made. I, I remember a time when I made a, a big mistake, nothing on the level of the NCAA championship, of course, but I used to work for this delivery company when I was in high school, and the company that I uh, worked for owned a truck uh, that we just simply referred to as the old red Chevy, all right? That's all we referred to it as, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that truck had experienced both world wars and every war since. Uh, it really was a beast, but uh, I was out on a delivery one day with that truck, and it needed some gasoline. And so I pulled into this gas station for a little bit of a fill-up, and little did I realize that I filled it with diesel fuel rather than the unleaded fuel uh, that it required. Uh, thankfully, my boss loved Jesus, and uh, uh, he was very gracious, but I got to tell you, that truck never ran the same after that day, and uh, I, I wish I could get that moment back. But uh, how about you? You got any moments like that? Uh, any moments in your life when you made a big, a big mistake, and again, if you could just get a moment like that back. Um, but what about the day-to-day -day stuff? Like just, what about in your everyday, normal living, your interactions, all the moments that we find ourselves in where there's a decision or a choice to be made, you know, uh, like those moments, maybe moments that you look back on at the end of the day, moments that you regret when maybe you were a little short with your wife or uh, your husband or... Uh, maybe your parents, something like that. Or how, how about those moments when, you know, as you reflect back, you realize, you know what, I really lost my temper uh, with my kids. Or if you're a teacher or an administrator, maybe you, you, you lost your cool with some students at school or in a class. Or 
Uh, have you ever found yourself in a moment, you know, or maybe afterwards, and you look back and you realize, you know what, I was just simply sharing gossip. I may have framed it in the form of a prayer request, but it, it really was gossip. Or have you ever caught yourself making some convenient adjustments to something like an expense report or even your taxes just to make sure you come out on top? Or, or how often do you get stuck in some websites that, well, you know, they're nothing but bad news and and nothing good can possibly come from it. See, there, these are just a few of the, of the examples of the many ways we commit sin each day, right? Uh, all of us, every single one of us, every day. I mean, we all struggle with sin. But let me ask you something. Let me, let me ask you this today, and especially for those of you that are in Christ today that would call yourself a Christian. Do you, have, do you ever get tired of your sin? you ever just get really frustrated by your own personal sin? Do you ever... Or how about this? Do you ever get frustrated by your inability to overcome sin in your life? See, the truth is we all struggle with sin, every single one of us. Whether you're in Christ or not in Christ, maybe you're new to all of this today, Christian or not, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with sin. All right, and I find that somewhat encouraging, all right? A guy that's written half of the New Testament, that even he would acknowledge that he struggled with sin. He felt the problem of sin, like in Romans chapter 7, uh, over in verse 15. And I just got to say that this is one of the tongue twisters in the Bible. It really is. If you, if you follow along with me here, look at, look at the Apostle Paul's own confession. He says, I, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. You get the tongue twister part of that, right? Yeah, a little bit of applause. I had to, I had to really concentrate there. But, but seriously, can you relate? Like even in Paul's confession in here, can you relate? I mean, how many times have, have you sinned and then looked back and, and you wondered, you know, how in the world? Like how in the world would I allow myself to, to make a choice like that, to commit a sin like that and maybe do that over and over again? I mean, how is it that I keep doing these things? Why in the world, Paul says, do I struggle with sin. This is the Apostle Paul's confession. All right, he's got these same questions, but what he's doing and what we're going to see today is that he's really pointing out something that's especially important for us to recognize. What he's explaining here, we're going to see this a little further as we get into Romans 8 today, is that he, he explains that there are really two opposing forces that are at work within us, work inside of us. You see, so many of us, so many of us have this desire to do what is right, but the inability to accomplish it on our own. And so think about how many times you've, you've walked out of here on a Sunday with every intention, every positive intention in the world to make some change in your life, but then Monday hits, right? Or the weekend comes along again. And like Paul, we, we just we have to face it. We all face this constant struggle between right and wrong. And some days we get it right, but others days, other days maybe not so much. Uh, a couple of important things I want to point out right from the beginning as we get started, and if you're taking notes today and you want to write these down, a, a couple of, I think, just great observations for us that we see even in Paul's confession here. We're going to see in his words today. Number one is that we all struggle with sin. All right, every single one of us, we struggle with sin. It's, it's what Romans 1 through 7 is all about. And if you read those chapters, as Ben suggested this past week, you found that. And the, the fact is that because of sin, we don't work right. 
right? We don't work right. And that just means that you and I are going to spend the rest of our days here on this earth struggling with sin. But here's the good news, all right? The second thing is, is that there is good news, and that's what makes the book of Romans so good. The good news is that because of Jesus Christ, we can overcome sin. We can overcome sin in this world. God has provided a gift for you and me in his presence. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see today in the the good news for us, the good news for those of you that are in Christ today is that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've received his forgiveness for your life, you've got the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. You've, you've got the very presence of God in your life. It's the Holy Spirit then that can give us the power to overcome sin, and it's the Holy Spirit that give, can give us the strength to live for God in this world. And so turn to Romans 8, if you would, today. If you've got a Bible uh, of your own, we're going to have the verses for you on the screen, too. Again, Romans chapter 8. And if you read through Romans 1 through 7 last week, or if you had a chance to listen to Ben's great message, and if not, you can check it out on the podcast this week, uh, you'll discover, all right, that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Christians uh, living in Rome. And even though that was the designated audience, it's really for all Christians. It's certainly uh, reliable for you and me today. And this letter serves to remind Christians about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's what we call the gospel. And what's the, what, what's the good news? The good news is just simply this, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this world. And he gave his life so that we could find life and have that life in return as we trust him. So, We spent last week uh, in the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue in a few more this week and over the next few weeks, even through Easter and on to Baptism Sunday. I like what one person had to say about Romans chapter 8. I think this really summarizes it well. He said this. He says, if Holy Scripture was a ring and the epistle, which means letter, to the Romans, its precious stone, Romans 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. All right, and that's really what it is. I mean, it really gets to the heart. It's really the thesis of the entire book. And what makes Romans 8 so good? Well, again, it's like what Ben pointed out last week. The message of Romans 8 is just simply this. That is, if you have trusted Jesus Christ with your life, then you are free. All right, there is a freedom to be received. There is a freedom to be discovered and lived for and taken advantage of in this world. That is that when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are no longer condemned by your sin. Through the power of Jesus Christ, you've been set free to live your life here on this earth and to one day spend eternity with God, with Christ in heaven. Look at those words from last week, just uh, Romans 8, just the first two verses here as Paul opens this chapter. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And man, there are so many verses that you could go back and look to, so many verses ahead, even in Romans, that you could point to. I, I love a few that, uh, that I just want to point out here, like in Romans chapter 5, 1, where Paul explains that basically because of this work of Christ, because he has satisfied the penalty of sin, Romans 5.1 says that freedom, all right, that we uh, can live and enjoy today means that we have peace with God in this world, all right? We, we are no longer at odds with him. Uh, or in Romans 6.23, as Paul explains, the freedom that we have means that we have been forgiven of our sins. We've been forgiven of our sins in the past. We've been forgiven of our sins in the present. We've been forgiven uh, of those future sins and that we have eternal life with God and then how about Romans chapter 6, verse 4? And we're going to see a little bit of this today. This is really kind of the direction that we're headed today is this. But in Romans 6, 4, Paul says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism. 
And we've got some people that are going to experience that, and we're going to celebrate that. And for some of you, you need to take that next step uh, in just a few weeks here at Genesis. But we have uh, that we are buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that's really the, the, the point for today, just simply this, that we are free so that we may live a new life here on this earth. We are, we are free so that we can go in a new direction with our lives. See, the resurrected Christ is the real difference maker, all right, for all of us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And if you've embraced that, if you've received that, that power, that truth for your life, well, the resurrected Christ is now in you. And that just means that you're not only safe for heaven, but you are free to live for God with all of your days here on the earth. Let me, let me, let me just say it like this to summarize. Here, here's the big idea for today. See, because God has given you the gift of his presence, the gift of the Holy Spirit, when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you can overcome sin in your life. You have the ability to overcome sin in your life. You don't have to give in to temptation or to sin anymore. And it's not on your own, and it's not because of anything that you can do for yourself, but it's because what Christ has done for you, it is the gift that he has offered you in his presence, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, and because of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome sin. See, Jesus Christ dealt a decisive blow to the authority and power of sin that leads to death when he gave his life on the cross. Again, that's the good news, but unfortunately for us, a problem still remains. Uh, there's still a challenge that comes to living in this world, and that is that because we live in a broken world, sin still has the power to influence us. Uh, it still has the power to influence our lives, and Satan would love nothing more, and he loves nothing more than to create as much chaos and commotion as he possibly can in our world and in our community and in your lives. This is commotion that he'd like to bring into our church and he does this through sin and this ongoing challenge of sin. And it's a struggle that we're all going to deal with again until Jesus Christ returns. And that's why we have a choice to make as Christians. And that's what I want you to see today, that you've got a choice as a follower of Jesus. Even if you're here today and you've never made a decision to trust Christ, again, a choice, a choice I'll talk to you about in just a few minutes. But the fact is this, especially for those of you that are Christians today, we're not machines, all right? Uh, we have significance uh, we've been given free will, and that just means that in every moment and in every circumstance, God has given us a choice, and it's a choice to choose between what we'll call our sinful nature and a choice to live in what we'll call um, living according by, by the Holy Spirit, all right? Living according to God's will by the Holy Spirit, and that's a choice that every single one of us has to make each and every here, here's our text for today. I want to just look at three verses in particular, and we'll, we'll, we'll certainly plug in a few more along the way. But just continuing on in Romans chapter 8, picking it up in verse 5, look at what Paul goes on to explain. He says, those who live according to the flesh, all right, notice that word, and we'll come back to that word in just a second, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I want you to see here how Paul identifies uh, really two different forces that are at work, both in his life, all right, it's in my life, but it's in your life as well, these uh, two ways to live, all right? 
uh, two kinds of life. The first one that he refers to is what uh, he just uses the word flesh, or maybe in your Bible uh, he uses the word sinful nature. And I want you to notice what Paul says here. I want you to notice how he says the flesh has desires, right? Um, uh, to live according to the flesh means to set your, your mind on the desires of the flesh. And notice, uh, as Paul says, how we can choose to be governed by the flesh. All right, we can allow the flesh to lead us. And Paul calls it a life that is hostile towards God. But then in contrast, Paul also talks about what it means to live according to the Spirit. All right, and so we can live according to the flesh or we can live according to the Spirit. To live according to the Spirit means to set your mind on the things or the desires of the Spirit. He, he describes this kind of life as one of, uh, of peace. It's a life uh, that according to the Spirit that is pleasing to God in contrast to a life that is hostile to God. We sometimes call it obedience. All right, We use the word obedience. But let's look at two other places where Paul compares and contrasts the difference between the two, between the flesh and living by the Spirit. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, in verse 19, look what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, uh, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? And so, again, those are examples of the desires of the flesh. Now, look at the contrast. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such thing there is no law. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, all right? No, no longer are we under this penalty, all right, of the flesh, all right, because of what Christ has done for us, right? But again, we're going to see, and we can even see that that torment is still there, all right? That, that, that warring of two different, these two different things is still taking place. He says, and so he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, almost as if acknowledging that, again, there's a choice to be made. All right, so I, I think you can see the difference, right? You can see the difference between the desires of the flesh and the spirit and how these are in, in, in conflict with one another. Let's look at one other example where Paul distinguishes the two. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these and others, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with all of its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Basically just say, hey, Christ is available to anyone, right? To any of you, to any of you that will trust him. And then again, notice the contrast. Verse 12, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And for those of you that want to live according to the spirit today and defeat the power of sin in your life, he says, uh, you are to clothe yourselves with things like compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, do you see the difference between the two? 
between the desires of the flesh and what it means to live according to the Spirit. Think about how often you choose between the two every single day, that we choose between the two every single day, that we choose between things like resentment or forgiveness. We choose between things like deceit or honesty, even brutal honesty, or we choose between things like sexual immorality or impurity or hate or love. These are the choices that we come up against each and every day. These are the forces that are at work within Paul, all right, that are at work within me and at work within you, the flesh versus the spirit. And you and I both know, you and I both know that when you surrender your life to the Lord or when you surrender your life to the Lord, the struggle to sin is, well, it just doesn't go away, all right? That, that temptation is still there and it's and so it's obvious that living under the leadership and the influence of the Holy Spirit is not some automatic thing that automatically happens. Again, we're not machines. Uh, it's kind of like this. I, um, I belong to LA Fitness. Uh, maybe some, some of you do as well, or you belong to something similar. I, I pay for a monthly membership. And because I'm a member, I've got all of the rights and privileges that come with membership at a place like LA Fitness. Here's the thing, LA Fitness can make all of the promises in the world of what my abs and biceps might look like if I'm willing to do all of the work, if I'll commit to the training. But if I don't work out every day, right, it's not going to happen. Let me just say this for us as clear as I can. When when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you were given the gifts of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life with God, and no one is going to take those gifts away from you. But you were also given the gift of God's presence, the Holy Spirit for your life. And the Holy Spirit is the power that we need to live for God. The Holy Spirit is the power that we need to choose from right and wrong in this world. The Holy Spirit is what we need to live a life that is pleasing and satisfying to both you and really for God, most importantly, for God. It's why Jesus was able to say in John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but very truly, I tell you, he was saying this to his disciples before he died. He says, it is for your good that I'm going away, that he would eventually ascend into heaven. He said, unless I go the advocate, which is another word for the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, Some of your Bibles might use the word, it's to your advantage. Jesus is saying, hey, you think it's special? to be spending this time with me or to be able to go to something like the temple and have an experience with God, it was Jesus' way of saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. And for the Jewish people to be floored that the very presence of God would actually come and live inside of you. You know, it's God in you. That's the promise. It's the Holy Spirit that we have when we trust Christ that is there to guide and direct and provide for your life. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, all right? No one was ever more dependent on the Holy Spirit than Jesus Christ himself. And that same spirit was available to Jesus, that was available to Jesus is the same spirit available to you and me. Again, even when we come to Christ, there will continue to be two forces at work within us, that of the flesh, all right, the sinful nature, and that of the spirit of God. And because God has given us free will, we exercise responsibility really in choosing between the two each day. So let's do this. If there are two forces at work, in us as followers of Jesus today, the question that we have to ask then is, how do we overcome sin? How do we overcome sin? How do I overcome sin in my life and choose to live by the Spirit each day? We get some indication of that in Paul's very words right there in verse 5 again. Let's look at it one more time. He says, those who live according to the flesh, notice what they do, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. 
But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so how do we overcome, all right, sin and live by the Spirit? I'm going to give you three things this morning before we wrap up. If you're taking notes and you want to write these down, the first thing is this. The first thing that we need to learn to do is to set your minds on, your mind on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the things of the Spirit. The Greek word here is the word phroneo, uh, and it means to direct one's mind towards something. It means to, to seek or uh, to strive for something, to, to side with something out of a desire really for obedience. And here's the thing, when you, what, what you set, where you set your mind really determines your motivation. It determines how you act and the choices that you make. And so think about it. If your goal in life is to satisfy your own desires again and again and repeatedly, repeatedly no matter the cost, there's a really good chance all right, that you're going to pursue the things of the flesh. All right, You're going to pursue those things that Paul describes and lists here, things like sexual immorality, things like deceit and anger and revenge, again, for your own needs. These are very self-gratifying. That, that's what it means to set your desires on the things of the flesh. And that's why Paul says that we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And so it means to focus our hearts and to focus our minds on what the Holy Spirit is interested in. Now, how in the world do we know what the Holy Spirit is interested in? Well, we talk about this over and over again, but that's why it's so important to spend time every day studying the Word of God, because the Word of God is packed full of all of the interests of God, all of the interests of the Holy Spirit. And when you begin to read, and when you begin to take in those words day after day, after day and reflect on those words and make things like scriptural uh, memorization a part of your life, you're going to begin to see, all right? God's going to open your eyes and He's going to open your mind and we're going to be able to better understand and distinguish between the two. We're going to be better prepared to set our minds on the things that the Spirit desires. Paul's going to go on a few chapters later in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. See, that's the challenge that you're up against, that we're up against every single day, is to conform to the patterns of this world. And you know what? The pattern of this world changes every single day with each new movement and each new thought. And you can be who you want to be on any given day, no matter what you can think, what you want to think, no matter what. We need a source of truth. All right? We need something that we can lay and build a foundation upon. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so he said, don't conform any longer to the shifting patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what comes from it, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. And as you continually fill your mind with the Word of God, you know what happens? I mean, it's not going to take long before you realize that the Holy Spirit wants to better help you understand your purpose in life each and every day, no matter the situation. It's the Holy Spirit that wants to help you uh, discover a marriage that is beyond anything that you could ever imagine in this world. It's the Holy Spirit that wants to help you heal from your wounds. All right, and discover the power of forgiving others. It's the Holy Spirit that wants to help you defeat and overcome sin and temptation in your life. Think about this for Jesus. I mean, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right away he was baptized. He goes off into the wilderness where he's tempted. What did Jesus do? What did he do to counter Satan? He quoted scripture. He returned to the word of God. He was prepared to act on the will of God because he understood the will of God, and it was the Holy Spirit that enabled him to do just that. 
It's not that complicated for us. I mean, what, how do we overcome sin and live by the Spirit today? We've got to train our minds. We've got to train our minds to draw from the Word of God. We've got to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And studying the Word of God each and every day is the best way to do just that. Number two is this, uh, is to obey the Spirit's desires. All right, if we're going to set our mind on what the Spirit desires, number two is to obey the Spirit's desires. Look back a, a, a couple of chapters in Romans for a moment. I want you to notice how Paul says, we will, we will either obey the desires of our flesh or the desires of the Spirit. Romans chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 11, he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So what then? He asks, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means? He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and now have become slaves to righteousness. And so once again, Paul just points out that even as you come to Christ, there will be this challenge to obey the desires of the flesh or to obey the desires of the spirit. There's no middle road, by the way. There's no middle road here. Now, why does all this matter? I've got this slide. We created this slide just to kind of help you see and reflect really on the difference between the two of what it means to live by the flesh versus living by the spirit. And I want you to notice uh, if you would, as you look at this diagram here, notice how the flesh has desires and interests. And when we act on those, it's called sin. Every day and in every moment, when we act on these things, it's sin. And as we continue in these things, and as we make them a habit, really, even those habits that we tend to overlook, well, it's very easy to develop a pattern of living that way. And so it's, a, it's called a way of living by the flesh. And well, as we note here, it's a way that leads to death. Paul calls that out again in Romans 8, 6. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. Now, that word that Paul uses there in Romans 8, 6, that word for death is the, word, uh, the Greek word thanatos. Uh, and for those uh, who have not trusted Christ, uh, that type of death, even with that word, and as Paul describes here, can mean a death to your physical body, or it can mean a, a spiritual death in hell if you've not trusted Christ. But if you're a Christian, all right, if you're a Christian... All right? It also means that very same word death means misery of the soul. All right? It's a life marked by distress. It's a life marked by discomfort or unsettledness or heartache or unhappiness. See, living according to the flesh as a follower of Jesus is going to lead to a miserable life here on this earth. I mean, think about it. Think about a time in your life when maybe you let sin in. Think about a time where you allowed sin to become a pattern in you. And, well, I like how someone said that, well, sin certainly can lead to a temporary satisfaction, all right? It's certainly true, all right? Some sin is fun, all right? But it's only temporary. And before long, and as you continue in these things, well, 
many often find that it leads to a very miserable life. I wonder how many of you have experienced something like that today. I wonder how many of you know some miserable Christians that are walking around on this earth today. But here's the good news, all right? The good news is that we don't have to live this way, all right? And as Paul calls out, we have this opportunity as followers of Christ to live according to the Spirit. And when we set our minds, when we set our minds on the desires of the Spirit, and when we choose to act on those desires, Paul will sometimes use this word righteousness, all right? Again, it's called an act of righteousness or obedience, really. And when we develop a pattern of living this way, it means that we're living by the Spirit, and Jesus says that this type of living leads to a, a fulfilling life, really a peaceful life. He, he calls this out in John 10, verse 10, when Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And the Greek word for life here that Jesus was using, using is this word zoe. Uh, it means an abundance of life. Uh, a fullness of life, a, a satisfying, genuine life, a life worth living. It's a, it's a life that I think every single one of us here, if we had some time, could describe as the kind of life that we want and the kind of life that we crave and the kind of life that we hope for. And that's the life that Jesus has in mind for every single one of us, every single one of you here today. And it's the life the Holy Spirit is capable of producing in our lives as we live according to the Spirit. But if we go back to that graph for just a moment, it begs the question, what if, and what if for those of you that would say you've put your trust in Jesus, what if you would identify even this morning, you know what, I'm really living by the flesh right now. Then what? What do I do? What can I do? What step can I take? How do you get out of living by the flesh so that you can live according to the Spirit? I've got one word for you, and it's the word repentance. That's the word repentance. And number three in your notes is to repent and return to living by the Spirit. See, repentance means turning away from sin and turning with your whole heart and all of your intentions towards God. Repentance is simply making the decision to go in a new direction. It's making the decision to go in the opposite direction, that I'm no longer willing to live under the reign of sin, but instead I want to turn my life and live under the reign and the authority and the leadership of God by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And here's how Paul, the Apostle Paul describes repentance in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, one of the ways, he says, you know, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its de deceitful desires, and to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness and repentance is just like that. It's a lifestyle of taking off the old and choosing to put on the new instead. And repentance is an essential discipline in the Christian life. And certainly there is a once and for all time of repentance where we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and the gift of eternity and forgiveness and salvation is given to us forever. But repentance will continue to be a part, not in getting our salvation back, all right, but instead stepping out of the flesh and choosing to live by the Spirit and repentance as followers of Christ is a daily 
discipline and a means for how we do just that. Quickly, uh, founder of Campus Crusader Crew, uh, the late Bill Bright suggested that repentance uh, can be accomplished through an exercise that he called spiritual breathing. Uh, and it just simply works like this. Spiritual breathing, the process of exhaling the impure so that we can inhale the pure is an exercise in faith that enables you really to continue to experience God's love and forgiveness in your life. He just simply describes it as a daily exercise, even in any given moment. That moment when you recognize what I just did was wrong or what happened earlier today, that was sin. I committed sin in my life. And the process of spiritual breathing just simply goes like this. I exhale the impure. It's a part of confessing my sin. Mentally, I'm confessing my sin before God. I'm agreeing with God concerning this sin. I'm thanking Him for His forgiveness that's available to me. We also call this confession. Again, it's a change of attitude. John says it like this in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so I exhale as I confess the sin, as I bring it unto the Lord. And then the second part of that is then I inhale the power of God for my life, the forgiveness of God in my life. I'm trusting now that He is a better one to direct me, to empower me, and I realize and I hang on to the promises even in those moments of repentance like 1 John 5, 14 and 15, that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. See, repentance is essential to living the Christian life. It's an essential part of living by the Spirit where we daily and regularly identify our sin. We repent and we run from it. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble once again at some other point in life, but we continue to repent and do everything that we can to run from it as we're setting our minds on those things that the Spirit desires or we're making an effort every single day to obey the desires of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit can make us aware of sin the Holy Spirit is the one that will convict us of sin, and the Holy Spirit is the one that can lead us through the process of repentance and forgiveness. And repentance is how God gets us back on track. And as repentance becomes a vital part of our Christian walk, I think that we're more regularly going to see the sin that's coming and the ability to overcome this sin, and not by our power, but by the power of the Spirit in us. We set our minds on the Spirit. We seek to obey the Spirit in everything, and we repent. Finally, to live by the Holy Spirit is what we call the empowered life, and it's an incredible advantage as followers of Jesus to think that we have the Holy Spirit in us, that we have this ability through God, by the power of God, to overcome sin and the opportunity to live for God in this world. And Paul realized that being an incredible advantage and a wonderful opportunity as followers of Jesus today. One more passage for you. He goes on later to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, he says, you will live. I like that word back there in verse 12, though, where he says, obligation. Uh, he's going to go on in 2 Corinthians to say, I'm compelled 
because of what Christ has done in me and for me. How do we not change everything about the way that we live and the one that we live for and our motivation and our true joy and drive in this life and in this world? Um, I was in uh, Albania about a month ago, as we've talked about, and we have got a great ministry partner in Albania. Uh, there was a conference that I was teaching at, and I had been at this conference for about an hour, and there were maybe 100 or 125 pastors there when an Albanian man came up to me, and uh, he in- introduced himself as uh, Gensi and said, hey, guess what? I'm going to be in Carmel in a couple of weeks. And uh, what just floored me in that moment, that, you know, I'm halfway around the world. It's like, why did I come over here if you're going to be in Carmel uh, in a couple of weeks? But uh, he and his wife came to Carmel, sure enough, and they've been here for about five weeks. They leave tomorrow. I had the opportunity to have coffee uh, with them uh, on Thursday. And one of the things that I love in getting to know so many of the Albanian people and those who have come to Christ is a little bit of their story and their testimony. And so Gensi is there in the middle, his uh, wife, Irida, and... And uh, man, her story, both of their stories, fantastic, but her story uh, really touched my heart. She uh, grew up um, mostly in the communist day of Albania, uh, and communism fell around 1990. It was illegal to say the name of God, and uh, Albania pronounced themselves as atheist and for all people, you know, during that time. But even as a young girl, and even up till 1990, she had all these thoughts and questions about God. Her mother, who had her grandmother, uh, who was a Muslim, had taught her some uh, Muslim prayers. And so even as a little girl, as often as she could, she would just recite these prayers. But then one day, and after 1990, as missionaries started coming to Albania, one of her friends had come to Christ, and the missionaries had given her a Bible. And so Irida one day begged at about the age of 13 for the opportunity to borrow that Bible. Her friend said, one night, you can borrow it for one night. And so Irida, she took that Bible, and for one night, she just searched through it. And you know what? She landed on the Lord's Prayer. And she memorized that prayer, and she explained to me that she was so struck at the thought that you can call him Father. And it wasn't long after that that she herself encountered someone who shared the gospel with her, and she gave her life to Christ and went off to university, met her husband there. They graduated, and they were set for some career paths when one day they just realized, no, we, we need to do for others what Christ has done for us. And They've been working for crew now for the last 15 years because there's just nothing else they can imagine doing but sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with their family and friends. Both of their families have all come to Christ. And Paul says, you know what, we've got an obligation. And for these two, they realize that they've got an obligation. And I'm not telling you today that you've got to quit your job and go work for crew But I am saying that, you know what, God has in mind for every single one of us to be kingdom workers in this world and to go and to share the gospel, but to live the gospel at the very same time. And that's the good news that Christ has defeated death and there is a way through and it is full of life and peace. And he wants to make a great big difference in your life and he wants to make a great big difference in the people that are coming into your life each and every day. Let's pray. And as we pray today, I I just want to invite you, and maybe some of you have already come to that point this morning where you're realizing that you've been living by the flesh, and it's time to repent. 
and turn your heart and turn your eyes and your mind toward Jesus Christ today. You can do that right now where you're seated. And I promise that he will hear you and that he will fill your heart and your life. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that we can live more fully and completely for him today. Would you make that commitment in your life to live more fully and completely for God today? And even as you walk out of here in a few moments to practice setting your mind on the spirit and obeying the spirit and even just that daily practice of repentance so that we can live by the spirit and be more like Jesus and so that others may know that others may know the story, the good news of Jesus Christ too. And for those of you that are sitting in the room right now that have never trusted Jesus Christ with your life, can I just tell you today, can I remind you today that there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus said for that God loves so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe that's the choice that you need to make today because you've been living by the flesh. It's really your own option outside apart from a work of Christ in you. But he makes his life available to you. His forgiveness is available for you today to take and receive. And if you've never received that in your life before, Maybe just take a moment right now where you're seated just to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life today. Forgive me of my sins. I want to live by your spirit. And Father, we thank you that uh, we thank you for what you've accomplished for us in Christ. We thank you for the life that you've invited us into, the life that is available for each of us here today. God, would you lead us and guide us? Would you convict us by your spirit when we get off path when we choose wrong ways and allow your Holy Spirit, that, re- that work of repentance and confession to change us all in measurable and noticeable ways as we live more fully and completely for you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.